we have been, when, when uh, Tyler is out and we're together, well, I've been kind of slowly going through a more topical series that we're calling Lord of the Future, talking about things that, that have to do with the future. Tyler is handling Revelation, what the ultimate future is, but sometimes the immediate future is of concern to us too. And so we've been talking about some different things. We had a, a, a teaching where we went through talking about kind of the new spiritual things that seem to be arising in our day, where there's more of a focus on spiritual things, not necessarily good, but people are more open to the spiritual world. We talked about that. We also spent some time talking about the church and what God has said about the church's future, why we can be encouraged about that and what God has done in the church and why we can be sure that that's going to last. And now this time I want us to talk a little bit about anxiety. To me, anytime you talk about the future and thinking about what God's plans are, for a lot of us, and I would put myself in that category sometimes, anxiety becomes one of the first you know, feelings that we have. If you talk about the future, we start thinking, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure what's out there. It might be frightening, it might be concerning. And anxiety is something that a lot of people deal with. And I think especially now, it, when everyone around us is declaring that we live in the anxious age in capitals, is something I keep seeing everywhere, it seems we continually set new records for every way that we could possibly measure a society's struggles with mental health and anxiety and things like that. So are Christians different in this regard? And if we are called to be different, if the Lord is enabling us to be different, how are we going to be different and why? After all, we, we go through the exact same things that everyone around us goes through, and we're tempted in the same ways to struggle with deep anxieties and worries. And we'll talk about the differences between those in a minute. I think we can all agree that many aspects of our generation tempt us and maybe uniquely tempt us to sin by worrying. And worry is a sin. Scripture does talk about that. We'll talk about how there's some differences there, but it's a thing to consider that maybe uniquely in our day, it's easier than ever for you to get caught up in, in constant worry. Now, I think it would be foolish to say it's never been like this before. Look, I'm sure if you lived through a world war or a plague or something like that, you had some unique circumstances also. I don't think we are cornering the market on anxiety in our day, right? So we can also relax and realize that the Lord has given grace to people before going through way more intense circumstances than ours. He can give us grace too. But there are unique things that we go through that tempt us to worry as well. Differences in terms of the, sometimes the information we have access to and how much of it and all kinds of different things like that. So I don't want to, you know, poo-poo that or pretend that we don't have unique challenges too. How is God calling us to respond to these temptations? Now, anytime I talk about things like this, I want to make sure we understand that I'm going to try really hard today not to be callous or discouraging. A pastor always has to eat his own cooking when he's teaching, right? But this, especially if it's something that you struggle with. Anxiety is something that I have struggled with in the past and still do struggle with. This week, I was teaching to myself, (laughs) right? And that's, that's the thing that happens. So I don't want you to think as I teach these things, I want us to be encouraged and not discouraged. I don't want to, to come across as not being, not caring about this or as if it's something that I'm not, you know, personally concerned over. But... I want us to remember today that we have a unique treasure in God, an unfathomable well of love and grace that stills our hearts when we fear. And this is probably most important maybe now, right? When this is something that many people are struggling with. If, if you're a person who's, maybe you're sitting in here and you have struggled with anxieties and fears for, for years, And maybe you've kind of found the bottom. It's not really a deep bottom. It's that shallow little pool that you try and drink from of self-care and self-focus. And then you start obsessively worrying about how much you're worrying. You ever been there, right? Now now you're concerned about how concerned you are. Um, We've all been there at various times. I want us to consider that our fears are a broken compass that God is going to redeem as we spend more and more time in his presence. Our fear is supposed to point us towards God. And, but since we're fallen people, our fears are broke. And they're, they're making us do things and focus on things that are not what the Lord wants for us. I want us to allow ourselves today to be lovingly recalibrated by God's word so that we're using our fear the way it's supposed to be used. So we're going to do a couple things. First of all, We're going to talk about what the Bible says about our anxieties and and, and the things that we deal with and what we're supposed to fear. And then we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to talk about kind of a prescription or a set of of steps that we can take when we're dealing with anxieties and fears. That'll be in Philippians chapter 4. And then we're going to talk about God's peace and what that's going to look like when we receive the peace that he's promised us. 
So, first of all, let's take a little spin through Scripture and what the Scripture says about anxiety. Now, I thought when I sat down to teach, I said, well, this will, I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll do a little word study on anxiety or fear. And I'll pull up, maybe I'll find a couple of verses that will be helpful and interesting for us. Uh, that is not going to be possible this evening because we don't have several hours. There are too many verses and not just like, oh, that's where the anxiety is mentioned. Too many wonderful, encouraging verses about fear and anxiety for me to even start going through. I simply picked out ones that immediately spoke to me for this evening. There, you really should do yourself a favor. If this is something that you deal with, you need to spend some time getting one of those, get a topical Bible or a word study Bible or something like that and go through where the Bible mentions things like fear, anxiety, or uh, courage is, is kind of the, the reverse. And you can see some cool things there. This is all over your scripture. And you tend to get two patterns when you start looking at these things in the Bible. We're commanded not to fear in the Bible. A lot. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. All through Scripture. But we're also commanded to fear God. Now, that's, a little, that's a little weird, right? He just finished telling us don't be afraid. Now he's telling us that we're supposed to fear God. How does that work? They're actually two sides of the same coin. It's very important that both of those things are commanded. So first of all, look, God isn't surprised that the stress and the turmoil of our lives beats us down and presses on us and, and a lot of times can feel almost like we're never going to be able to face up to it. In fact, Jesus experienced all of these things in the body as, as the incarnate Son of God. He, the Bible says that he experienced everything we experienced yet without sin. So that means if you experience anxiety, Jesus knew what it was like to be anxious. And we can think of some really specific times. The Garden of Gethsemane, of course, is the main time where it says he, you know, sweat great drops of blood. That wasn't, you know, we need to be careful that we don't get rid of Jesus' humanity. That wasn't just a show for us. He was experiencing such intense anxiety over the trial he was about to face on the cross that his body was having these reactions. He was having emotional reactions. All that was real. It wasn't a show. So Jesus went through intense anxiety in his life. And, and all through scripture, we see other believers. I think Paul in some ways talks about that, where he says, you know, I go through all this anxiety for the churches. And David, goodness, you read the Psalms, David and the other psalmists, there's anxiety all over the place. It's like they're swinging back and forth. They're like, I'm, I'm good. Jesus has got me. Well, they didn't know about Jesus yet, but they're looking towards the Messiah. He's got me. And then they say, oh, no, this is really bad. Look at these. And it's, it's this constant battle almost. Now, we know that Jesus didn't sin when he was afraid because he never sinned, right? So it must not be a sin just to have anxiety because Jesus had anxiety. So that's not, that's, that can't be correct. But we also know that worry and fear can lead us into sin if we don't handle them the way that Jesus did, right? Because the Bible also commands us, is don't worry, don't be anxious. And disobeying those commandments is going to be a sin, right? Just like anger, right? You can be angry and sin not. Right? That's what scripture says. So we can be afraid and sin not. Now, some people struggle with this. They say, why is worry a sin? Well, we're going to talk about this, but basically worry is a sin because it dethrones God in your life and it puts something else up on God's throne. And that's never a good thing, right? So it is a, a, can be a potential sinful trap for us. But just because we're anxious doesn't mean we're immediately going there. It's just like anger, right? You can start out angry and it doesn't mean you've sinned yet. At some point you can get there though. So it's a thing we need to be careful of. Now, that's kind of a little bit of a preface. Here's a couple of these verses that just jumped out to me as I started looking through what Scripture has to say about fear. First of all, if you go to Genesis 31, 53, I'm going to have these up here. I'll read them for you so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It says, The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, that verse is just fascinating to me. Isaac was known as a person that if, if you ask, well, what is Isaac afraid of? They said, Isaac's not afraid of much, but he's afraid of that God of his, right? That's the fear of Isaac is the way that his God was described. Now, that is a, Isaac went through some things, right? He had a crazy life, but he was known as a man who had just one fear, and it, and it was his God. Now, that's a, that is a way to describe your relationship with the Lord. It kind of gives you goosebumps a little bit, right? It's like, man, he's got this unique relationship with the Lord where all the time in the back of his mind, he's like, that's the thing that I'm actually, that, that would give me pause is thinking about the Lord being upset with me. Okay, now, so far, this is not very encouraging for anxiety, right? Well, hang on, hang on. We're going to get there. Let's look at Isaiah 8, 12 through 13. I love this verse. 
Pastor Tyler introduced me to this verse uh, maybe about a year ago we were, as we were talking. I just will not get over this verse. It says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now, we live, right, we talk about an anxious age. We're also talking increasingly about a time when it's very difficult for us to tell what's real, right? You get online, and now you can see images that look perfectly real, pictures that seem good to you, and then you find out, no, a, a, a large, you know, artificially intelligent model made that image. It never existed, and now you're seeing it, and you're like, oh, it looked like a real thing that I was seeing, right? So we live in an age where it's very difficult to tell what's real, and it's very easy to get confused, and there's many, many people, we even talked about this some in our first study about these new spiritual you know, movements coming, where there's many people who want to peddle some sort of conspiracy theory to you to get you entrapped, right? But this says, no, 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 don't dread those things. You want to dread something, be afraid of God. That's what you should dread, people. And he's encouraging the people. He's saying, what are you doing? Looking at all these other things that people say, oh, no, no, this is pretty spooky. Have you looked into that? No, no, no. Look at the Lord, and that's who you should be afraid of. Don't call conspiracy what these people call conspiracy. What a reminder in a time when we're tempted, right, to constantly be looking around the world for bad news and weird things and being, paying attention to those. And finally, Psalm 27, 3 through 4 says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, David clearly dealt with intense anxiety at times, right? In fact, there's a case I was speaking with a gentleman after at our men's retreat who was saying that he, he was a long-time uh, military veteran, and he said that as he read the Psalms, it was just really clear to him he felt that David might have dealt with PTSD in some way, right? Where he's constantly dealing with these recurring traumatic events that keep recurring all through his life. I, can, I see no reason why that's not possible. I'm you know, not going to diagnose a person over 2,000 years, but seems, it seems plausible to me. I mean, you have a person who lived this intense, stressful, violent life where he's always on the run from people and something bad is always just about to happen. So he deals with anxieties. Now, and, and, and they're not like, you've got to remember, because we can, sometimes when we think about anxiety, we can think about somebody who's, this is not, <laughs> these are real things a lot of the time. David's anxieties weren't made up. It wasn't in his head, right? Nobody was able to come along and say, oh, David, don't worry. You don't have any enemies over the next hill. Those were real enemies over the next hill. He couldn't just wish them away. But what was his, did you catch what he said, how he was going to deal with these things? God's presence was David's recipe for dealing with his anxiety. He says, I've got all these things going on and I can't make them go away. So the one thing I want is and he doesn't even ask the Lord to make the anxieties go away. He says, I just want to be able to be in the Lord's presence. That would be good enough if I could be with the Lord. That's going to be really important for us tonight. No one in God's presence can help but fear. How many times do we read? Whenever a person in Scripture comes into the presence of the Lord, you read that the Lord had to say, hey, don't be afraid. Right? The, even angels, when they show up, who are not God, they have to tell people, don't be afraid. So certainly when you get in the presence of the Lord, there's this good, healthy reaction of, wow, that is, God is not like me. I, I am not holy and God is holy, right? That is a good reaction. But the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. Right? It's not the whole reaction that we have to the Lord. It's the beginning. It's, yes, this is who I need to, you know, I need to make sure I understand that the Lord is different than me, but also we learn that God loves me. So you've got to get to that place of being afraid of the Lord, right? Like Jacob, that was a good reaction for him to have. But we also read, as God continues to reveal himself to his people, that God, who you should be afraid of, loves you. That sure changes the game. Right? All of a sudden, this God that I might ordinarily not want to be in his presence, he keeps pursuing me and saying that he loves me and that he wants to take care of me. God's fear leads you to his face, and it's going to end in his love. Now, Satan's call to fear is very different. Right? Satan also wants you to be afraid, but it's a very different kind of fear. He's trying to drive you to despair, to insanity. That's why the sin of worry, which is different from simply experiencing anxiety, and I want to separate those, right? 
right? Just remember we said, just because you feel angry doesn't mean that you've sinned in being angry. Just because you feel anxious doesn't mean that you're sinning by worry. So what is worry? To me, I think in Scripture it makes clear that worry is this clinging on to our fears and not being willing to release them in the presence of the Lord. That's what worry is. It's, look, we feel these anxieties, they come through our life all the time, but when we refuse to give them to the Lord, that hanging on of worry is the problem. It's, and it becomes sinful in our lives. We're allowing earthly dangers and cares to trigger in us the same feelings of immensity and humility and self-abasement that should be triggered in God's presence. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? We're, we're letting something smaller or lesser than God make us feel the same feelings that we should be feeling when we're in worship before the Lord or in prayer before Him. We're giving this homage, this worship, to something else. And God says, no, no, I'm a jealous God. I want you to feel that way before me. I want you to feel afraid when you're in my presence, not afraid when you're in the presence of this danger in your life or this concern that you have. Those things aren't worth that feeling. I want you to direct that towards me. And that's why it's like saying, to you know, pick the thing that you tend to be afraid of. Poverty or death or loneliness. You are so powerful. You're so frightening. You take this place up here on the throne of my heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abase myself before you. I'm going to bow before you because you're that intense and powerful to me. And of course, that becomes a form of idolatry, right? That place doesn't belong to that thing, that worry, that concern we have. It belongs to the Lord. Now, we think of idolatry as like a thing that we want, right? And we don't want our fear. Right? It's concerning. We would like to get rid of it. But it can still be idolatry. Idolatry is just replacing the Lord with something else. So it's important for us to understand that that is the trap the enemy is trying to catch us in. Right? Is hey, pay attention to this thing. It's so powerful and frightening that maybe it eclipses the view of the Lord that you're supposed to have. That's the whole game that he plays with us. I know that these anxieties and the dangers are, are often very real things. I'm not arguing that these are kind of just made up things that we can just, you know, blow away and, and they'll, they'll be gone. Sometimes they're recurring situations that we don't have any power to get rid of in our own strength. But I believe that one of the great battlefields, one of the great spiritual battlefields of our future is mind war. That the enemy tries to enact on us in distracting us from the Lord and getting us to focus on other things. And we're going to have to choose whose thoughts we're going to think. Right? Scripture makes very clear that God's thoughts towards us and the thoughts that God wants us to think are anchored in the immensity of his good character. Right? The Bible says we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. Well, what's Jesus like? Well, he's completely good. He talks about he gives us complete peace. He's perfect love. That's the way that God's thoughts are going to be when we think them. And we're supposed to think God's thoughts after him. Now, Satan's thoughts are not like that. They're ugly and, and horrible and there, there's this constant, if you've ever felt that feeling in your mind where you just can't switch things off and it's like there's somebody chattering at the back of your mind all day, that's not the Lord talking to you. I just want to make that clear, right? That, that, and we'll talk about where that may come from, but it's certainly not the Lord. This constant chaos from his own darkened mind, that's Satan's thoughts and he wants you to think his thoughts after him. That he would prefer that because then you're paying attention to him. You're being filled with these concerns and worries. Now, not every time we feel anxious means that the devil's talking to us. I understand that. Right, of course. There's sometimes where you just look, it was a stressful day. But we need to be aware that the enemy loves to play on those things. He's going to use those just like he uses anything. But God knows that our hearts are weak. He knows that we're made out of dirt. <laughs> we're like a frightened animal that's constantly looking out for these real dangers that could be very you know, concerning. He lovingly lifts up our head and he says, don't fear that. Fear me. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, thanks for nothing, Zach. Like, before I was afraid of losing my job or, or somebody in my family getting sick, and now you're saying I need to be terrified of God too. Like, that's not super helpful with my anxiety problem. Look, yes and no. I'm not saying to be terrified of God. What I am saying is that the Bible gives us very clear instructions on what to do when our hearts are gripped with that kind of unshakable, sitting in the pit of your stomach, buzzing in your head fear. So what does the Bible tell us to do? Well, let's turn to Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 4. This is going to be our main passage this evening. I promise that wasn't just a very long introduction. It's okay. We're going to make it. So Philippians chapter 4 is God's instruction for us. How are we to conduct ourselves when we're buffeted by these constant pressures and worries in this world? I'm going to start in verse 4, and we're going to go verse by verse. 
Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, we know this is a command through Scripture. And sometimes we need to call each other to it in love, especially if we're struggling with anxiety. Rejoicing isn't always because you feel joyful right now. Sometimes it's an act of obedience that you have to carry out through duty and repetition. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, right? I was joyful before. I'm going to think about that, remember it, and do that again, even though I'm not feeling it right now. So much of the Psalms is just the psalmist reminding himself what he already knows about God. Sometimes you don't need a brand new thing. You just need to be reminded of what you know, right, in the Lord. So this is an important first step. If you're struggling with these things, take your mind back to the Lord and rejoice, right? I don't feel like that right now. I know. But that's an important first step, getting yourself to that place of confessing who the Lord is, even whether or not your heart is in that at that moment. Now, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> now, this one I'm going to say gently because I understand how this works. Right? Remember, I've, I've dealt with this. But I'm going to also say it insistently. We have to remain reasonable and keep our eyes on what is true. Because so much of what happens when you're struggling with anxiety is it's the, the way that the enemy likes to work is to prey on your irrational mind, right? Where pretty soon, you're at this place where if you said those worries and fears out loud, you would kind of start laughing even at yourself, right? Well, then I'm gonna lose my job because I'm sure my boss hates me and if I lose my job, I'll never get another job because there's no way I could ever get another job and then we'll be poor and we'll live in a cardboard box and now you're kind of going, right? And if you, if you stop yourself for a second, you say, now wait a second. There's several flaws in the logic here, right? <laughs> Setting aside the fact that God loves me and he's not going to allow these things to come to pass, even if I do lose my job, God's going to take care of me. Even forgetting that, this just seems improbable, right? It doesn't seem reasonable that this would happen, right? But the enemy doesn't want you to start thinking like that. He doesn't want you to take those anxieties and pull them out for a second and say, now wait a second. Is this even like close to real, right? He doesn't want you to do that. He wants to box you into that place where you're preferably alone, not talking to a brother or sister, not in fellowship, not in church, not doing all these things that help dispel these things, but just you and your thoughts for a while. And that's when you start getting down those really weird rabbit trails where pretty soon you're like, well, I don't know. It's, you know, all these horrible thoughts that come in your mind, right? Now, the Lord is at hand, though. So what has he said about me? What has he said about this world? What has he said about my life? Don't let the enemy just drop those irrational fears into your mind unchecked. You can't always do a lot about the fact that you have those thoughts, right? I mean, you, you all know, you know how it works. You're trying to worship the Lord and all of a sudden some horrible thought comes in your head. And you're like, I didn't ask for this. It's not even from me. This doesn't seem like, you know how that, that happens. All of a sudden the enemy's just trying to throw these darts at you just to see if he can distract you. You can't always do a whole lot about that. Sometimes it's just your brain spitting random things at you. Sometimes it is the enemy trying to distract you. But what you can do when that happens is rather than sit there and feel bad about that thought or look at it and think about it and worry over it, you can pretty much just wad it up and throw it right back at him. You have that ability in Christ. You, the Bible says that you have, he's guarding. We're going to read about how he guards our hearts and our minds. So you can fling that back at him and say, hey, look, your time is short. The Lord's at hand. You take this right back where it came from. You have that ability. Now, listen, you may have to do this every morning. Sometimes you may have to do this every hour, but don't stop doing it, right? Don't allow these things to just hang out and take up space in your mind because since we're supposed to be letting our reasonableness be known to everyone, we need to make sure that we're not entertaining ideas that don't confess who the Lord is and the fact that he's at hand. If we're letting lies run around in our head, Right? Which and essentially a lot of times that's what the enemy likes to do. He's the father of lies. He's not telling you good, reasonable, prudent things you need to be thinking about, right? That's not how he works. <laughs> he's telling you, he's constantly lying to you. Probably all of your friends don't really like you. Probably, you know, just all this stuff, right? It's all personal to you, whatever it is. I'll try not to spill too many of my own personal ones here for you. <laughs> but we can't, since he is the father of lies, and that's not who the Lord is, we can't allow those things to just kind of marinate in our hearts. Eventually, that's going to start setting these patterns for ourselves that, if left unchecked, it's very easy for that to become not just anxieties that come from externally, but worries that we're now holding on to because they're so familiar to us that it, we're not sure what it would be like to not think about that or think like that anymore. Now, verse 6, this is the one that we're more familiar with, but it's important to see it in its context. We've done these things. 
We've rejoiced in the Lord. We've worked to be reasonable, right? And now it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I'm betting that you've probably already tried the whole, I'm just going to sit here and will myself not to be afraid thing. Right? I'm sure everybody's given that a try at least once or twice. Doesn't always work so well. right? I'm just going to sit here and think really hard about not thinking anxious thoughts. Well, good luck. That's not how God intended you to fight any kind of temptation. I'm just going to sit here and grin and bear it and not be angry. Okay, I'll give you about a day. Right? And as soon as you really want to be angry, that's not going to work so good. That's fighting the flesh with the flesh, right? Well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to try really hard. I'll think about it and I'll just stop. Well, if it were that easy, I think you would have already done it, right? That's not how God wants you to do this. It says, don't be anxious, but God gives us so much to absorb our lives and so many things for us to do. And the Bible always has this principle where it says, look, you can't just not do the sinful thing. You have to be doing the things that the Lord wants you to do. That's the pattern that God gives us. I find that when I cease being about the calling that the Lord's put on my life and the duties that he's placed in front of me, that is when the enemy begins to wage some serious mental war. Right? Because now he's found me in a place where I'm not filling myself with the things God is calling me to, to be filling my life with. And there's a lot of space that he can start playing around with. So it is important that we don't just sit there and try not to be anxious about everything. But it says, in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look, when, especially when you're struggling in this area, you need to be the kind of person that is just bombarding heaven with your thanksgiving and with your supplication, right? And I love that it's both things. It's not just, Lord, here's all my problems. It starts with your thanksgiving. You wear a rut into this sanctuary. You be the first one there and the last one to leave. You be the one that's saying, look, I don't feel this right now, but I remember that the Lord did this for me. He's done that for me. I'm going to give thanks for this. And then, Lord, because of all these things that I know you've done, this is the, the real area of just brokenness in my life that I need you to come and visit, right? By being that person, by praying desperately, look, just on a practical level, it takes up a lot of time that you could spend worrying. That sounds silly, but like that's a real thing, right? You, the, a lot of what I find our struggles with anxiety are is that we've not learned sometimes to discipline our minds and our time. And it doesn't make it easier that there's a lot of temptations in our, for us culturally, for us you know, in the area of the world we live in, for how much abundance we have, that we have a lot of spare time on our hands sometimes. And by filling it with things that don't fill our hearts with the Lord or things that can easily distract us or get us caught up in anxiety, it can make us it very difficult. We have to unlearn some habits. One habit that I have to learn is, look, if, I'm, if I am a person, right, just like let's say you're a person who struggles with anger, okay, there might be certain changes you might have to make to your life in order to walk the way that the Lord wants you to walk. If I'm a person that may happen to struggle with anxiety, I may have to make some changes in how I spend my time so that this doesn't become a continued issue for me. I, I may especially have to be a person of prayer so that I'm not leaving myself open in this way to attack. Not only does it pray, you know, take up just the time though, and, and, and we also have to make sure, look, when we're saying, look, I'm praying about this, look, don't just worry out loud, right? The enemy loves that one, right? Oh, I'm going to go pray about it. And then you just spend a lot of time basically verbally worrying to the Lord. No, no. <laughs> Praying is different, right? From worrying. And, and I, I, I know the difference. Um, meaning you've got to take these things to the Lord. You've got to be in the Lord's presence. You've got to be praying and then listening for him to say something about the situation. That's the key, right? Because and we're going to talk about in a little bit how the, it's about the presence of the Lord, not just, you know, the, a change in our thought. And Jesus, you know, talked about this with the disciples. He said, look, you guys are all worried about all this stuff. He's like, can you make yourself, I, sometimes I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus was smiling when he said this, right? Because he, he was a loving and a kind guy, but I'm sure he had fun with his disciples. He said, look, are, are you getting any taller? You're worrying about stuff. It's, is worrying making you taller? Are you getting less bald? I don't know which of the disciples was bald, but so he was picking on somebody, right? It's like, are you getting less bald? Is it working? Right? No. He said, no, it's not working. He said, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And Jesus was constantly proving through his ministry that his father was the one who could do miracles, right? If, I'm sure if the Lord, if you asked and it was important to the Lord, he could make you less bald or taller. The Lord's able to do those things, and that's a silly example because I think he was trying to kind of be lighthearted about it. But let's think about more serious examples. Is all that worrying making the number in the bank account go higher? I've tried. Doesn't tend to, you can stare at it a lot. Doesn't do much. It might go down, right? It's not working. But does the Lord not have all the cattle on a thousand hills? 
Yeah, for sure. So between him, you know, who has all these things, and me, who has demonstrated no ability to affect the situation at all, maybe I should be going to him, right? Because me just sitting in this corner with the situation is not doing anything. And that's what Jesus' reminder was to his disciples. He said, look, guys, come talk to me about it. I'm the one who can do it. I would love to talk to you about it, but you just got to come talk to me. Sometimes this one is extra. Sometimes I think the Lord lets us sit with these situations a little longer than otherwise because we haven't asked him about them yet. Have you ever caught yourself where you've worried about something for a week and you've prayed about it all of one time and then the Lord does something? Now, could the Lord have done something before? Of course, but he's a good father. He just wants you to come talk to him. It's like, I just, I'll just wait for just a second until you come, and then I want to fix it, right? Why? Because he wants to help you to learn. He's not, it's not punitive. He's not doing that like sitting up there like crossing his arms like, well, and t-, you know, it's not like that. It's just like with my kids. If my kids are stressing about something or working something out, sometimes I'll wait and I'll say, hey, you know, when they come ask me, I'll work it out. For now, I want to see what they're going to do, right? Are they going to come and are they going to obey this, this thing that I've said? I've told them, hey, I want you to handle it like this, or are they going to go do it some other way? I've got to let them learn, right? So I'll let them go with it for a minute until, you know, inevitably it takes too long and they get frustrated and one of them is crying. And then they come to me and say, hey, we've got this problem. And then I help them fix it. The Lord is just like that with you. And, and so many times in my life, the situation that I've been so concerned over, you, you literally, you put five minutes of prayer into it. And the Lord just kind of chuckles and he says, of course, I'd love to handle that. I'm glad that you asked. And then he goes and handles it, right? That's the Lord's heart towards you, but he's not going to waste any of the struggles you go through, right? He's not going to, he wouldn't let you go through some some struggle and then not build you up in sanctification. So he's even going to use your worries and anxieties to teach you to wear that path, you know, that that rut (laughs) in the lawn or wherever it is that you're praying. You know, he's going to teach you to really get that in your heart that this is where I go when I deal with this. I go to the Lord. And he's going to allow that to allow those circumstances to stretch you. Now, verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to deep, dive deeper into God's peace in our conclusion for what that's going to be like. But for now, we need to expect God to respond to all those prayers that we're firing at in, in verse six. You don't just pray about these things. Look, prayer isn't just like some form of psychological like self-help. Well, when I talk about it out loud, I feel better. Look, I've tried talking about it out loud. Ask my wife. Doesn't make either of us feel better, right? That's not how it works. Prayer is different. Prayer is speaking to God. You should expect in faith that God is going to respond, especially if it's something that is troubling you and it is hurting you, and you're struggling with it, you're even being tempted to sin by worrying about it, of course he's going to respond to you. You have to expect that. You have to accept and embrace this peace that comes from the Lord, and let it guard you. Guards are for places that are getting attacked, right? The Lord says, look, if you ask, I will guard your heart and your mind. I want to do that, but you have to allow him to do that. Now, when you get into God's presence, you experience the true fear of God. And that leads to his love and his peace. And maybe you've had that experience before. When I say getting into the Lord's presence, I don't want to like, I want to be careful sometimes not to use like just shorthand terms that don't convey what we're talking about, right? Because we use these words sometimes as Christians and it, maybe we, we miss what we're really talking about because we've all heard that over and over and our mind just kind of skips over it. If you've ever been here with us on Sunday night and we just start praying and all of a sudden it becomes very clear that the Holy Spirit is working on everybody's hearts in the room at the same time. And we didn't plan that beforehand. I don't know, you know, you can come as early as you want. There's no pre-prayer huddle where we're like, tonight we're going to pray about this. That's not what happens. We all show up with our own struggles and anxieties and things that are on our heart. And the Holy Spirit orchestrates the evening in a direction supernaturally. We all just start praying. And the, the, the sense is that the Spirit is doing this this evening. You, we've, we experience the presence of God. And the Lord ministers to us. You have that, have you ever had that sense where you walk in this building and you think, you know, whatever is going on outside here, it doesn't count in here because I'm in the presence of the Lord and I just get to take a break from that in here. That's what being in the presence of the Lord is. It's not just worship or prayer, although those things are involved. It's when you know that you've spoken with God supernaturally. And all of a sudden, when you have that peace, there is a difference. You can't always explain it. It might not always, look, I wish it lasted for three weeks at a time. It doesn't always, but it is real. And ask somebody who's experienced it, and they can try and explain to you what that's like, because it is peace that passes understanding. The thing I want to ask us is, are we settling for some other kind of peace? 
Right? I'm not speaking against people who, because of things that they're struggling with, they truly need adjustment to the chemicals in their brain or, or, or deep therapy for struggles they've gone through. Those, these things are good, and the Lord can use them. I'm not saying that those are wrong. What I am saying is, search your heart periodically and ask, am I accepting the peace that God promised he would give me? Or am I looking for that in other places? God's peace isn't, the Bible says, it's not like the world's peace. It doesn't numb our problems or numb our feelings or demand that we try and empty out our mind just so that we don't ever feel bad about anything because nothing's worth feeling bad about. It doesn't deny your problems or try and rationally talk you out of your fear. God's peace comes from outside of time. It comes from God's presence to you, and that's why you can't always explain it. It's not like these other things. You can explain them. Well, I, you know, I talked to that person afterwards. I felt better. That's fine. Sometimes that's good. You just go talk to a friend about it. That's not a bad thing. But that's not the same thing as the Lord's peace. John 14, 26 through 27, Jesus is talking about this. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is why the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is so important and why it's something that we can't afford to minimize in the church. This is the way that the Lord has promised to give us his peace, is by spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not just like an add-on, right? Where, oh yes, he's sort of there. Jesus said, if I'm going to leave you the comforter, my Holy Spirit, it's even better than if I was standing there with you. Because he's going to do all these things in your heart, no matter where you are. Even if you're not physically where I would have been, you can still receive all these things from him, right? Including this supernatural peace, not as the world gives, that allows your heart to not be troubled and not be afraid. So this is why I say it's so important that we are we're able to learn how to take our fear and direct it back to the Lord. Because that once we're looking at the Lord and away from this thing that we're allowing to distract us, the Lord can start to do the work he wants to do. I'm saying, hey, I, I know you're afraid. Think about how different I am from that thing, right? Is Lord larger than that thing? Is he more fearsome? Is he more incredible? Yeah, of course. And yet he loves you. So I think he's going to handle that thing, right? I know that sounds so childlike and like simplistic and like it probably doesn't even help. It's the only thing that helps. I promise you, I've tried lots of stuff. It's literally the only thing that helps with anxiety and fear and and all these things because that's what the Lord wants to do. He's allowing you to to go through that experience sometimes to kind of retune your heart to Him. And by not doing that, right, by running to other things, sometimes we cheat ourselves of that experience of being in the Lord's presence, and we oughtn't to do that. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, this is why we read scripture in context. I've always heard this verse just kind of pulled out and proof texted as to why Christians shouldn't watch this movie or that movie. Which it's about also, by the way. I'm not knocking that, right? This, this verse can also be applied, right, to all kinds of different choices we make about, hey, w- what should we be spending our time, our thoughts on? That's true. But look at the context. What, while it might also be speaking to those things, in context, this verse is extending to anything that you're allowing your mind to chew over, and it's reminding you that if you're being anxious about anything, the things you're allowing your mind to chew over have an impact on that. What are you soaking in? Right? If I find myself marinating in anxious content, I can't be shocked when I'm buffeted by anxious thoughts. That's just how my brain works. Right? The more that I fill it with things that key me up and make me concerned and, and I'm just pouring all this information about what's bad in the whole world in there, I really shouldn't be surprised when that's what it's doing inside of me. This, again, this seems like a really simple thing, but I'm only saying it because every time that I forget this, it ends up having the exact same impact in my life. Right? And this will be different for different people. I can't. It's not as easy as me telling you, oh, well, the thing you've got to do is not do this or that. I don't know how, you've got to get in front of the Lord. And the Lord's going to reveal to you, why are we doing that? Is that helping? Right? The, Lord, the Lord talks to me that way sometimes. He says, is this helping? 
You know, you're saying that you want to not be anxious. You're saying that it troubles you when your heart is filled with all these thoughts. But you keep going back over here, and every time you're done, it, it makes you feel that way. Is this helping? And that's an important thing to heed when the Lord brings those things to our mind. There's, you know, for someone who struggles with, let's say, drunkenness, right? A glass of wine at dinner isn't a freedom, really, that they have. It's actually an open door to, to something that may bring them into bondage, right? Now, in the same way, if someone struggles with anxiety, uh, just a scroll through Twitter may not be a freedom that you have. Because it may be leading you into the exact same place that you don't want to be in, right? Now, again, I don't want to put anybody under some sort of like legalistic trip, right? I'm just describing something that the Lord has pointed out in my life. So, but ask the Lord, though. For you, Lord, is there any place where every time I go there, I come away feeling like this? Pay attention to those things. And if you see that repeatedly, look, just in the same way that you can wear a rut into the sanctuary with the Lord in prayer, you can wear a rut in your mind anywhere. And that tends to be how our brain works, science tells us. is that the, f the more times we go down that same path, the easier it is for our brain to go there. Pretty soon, all you've got to do is open up your phone and your heart starts racing. I've paid attention. Right? This happens, right? So it, it works in the same way. Turns out what the Lord said. The, the things that you're spending your time on, he says, look, think on things that are going to fill you with thoughts of the Lord, thoughts of his presence. Ultimately, Jesus and actually being in his presence fulfills that list of wonderful qualities in the highest way possible, right? Is Jesus excellent? Is he worthy of, you know, all these things? What does it say? It says, is he honorable? Is he true? Is he just and pure? Yeah, of course. So the best way to fulfill that list would just be literally spending time in the Lord's presence. But since we can't all live here, probably, I think that would be a problem. Um, since we're not all going to live here, right, what can we do? Well, wherever we're going, when we have a choice, how are we going to spend that choice? You don't always have a choice. Sometimes the circumstances in your life bring anxiety into your life. You don't, you don't get a choice, right? You can't, you can't remove all those family members or you know, quit that job or whatever it is that's going on, right? This is just what's going on. But there are things that we do have choices in, and this verse is talking about those things. The, the, the choices we're making that might be helping, or, or rather not helping, what we're going through. Verse 9, finally. It says, What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is so cool. The duties and practices that Jesus gives us as Christians can actually set us apart from everyone else who is struggling with these things in the, the kind of anxious age that we live in. Why is that? Well, pay attention to people. Who, who do you know? Think, of, think in your mind of who you know who leads the most calm and holy life that you can think of, right? Right? Not just like a chilled out person, because those exist, and there's many different reasons. Some of it is just how their brain works, or the fact that they don't really have a lot going on in their life, or whatever, right? I'm talking about a person that you could think of as like the, the just most wonderful saint that you can imagine, right? That you've spent time with, and you're like, they just, doesn't matter what's going on, they're thinking about the Lord. I've seen them go through horrible things, and yeah, they're, they're, they're struggling, and it's difficult, but they're constantly pointing me and themselves to the Lord. Now, watch that person and just do the things that they do, right? What, what does the rhythm of their life look like? How do they spend their time? What places are they going to? What, how do they approach difficult situations? Copy them. Sometimes we get stuck in this thing of like, well, I've got to kind of figure it all out. No, you don't have to figure it out for yourself. There's really not that many things that we've been given to do by the Lord. We just got to keep doing them. That's the encouraging thing, right? It's a walking with God is something that my seven-year-old daughter can do. I've told her a couple things that she needs to do, and she can do them. She doesn't always, but neither do I, right? So she can, she can walk with the Lord, and therefore it's really not a complicated thing to do. It's just a thing that we spend a long time learning to do. These are things that we've got to stick with and not give up. We're building this lifelong habit of trusting and resting in God. And you know, I, this is just a specific encouragement. I just want to say, if you've struggled with something like anxiety for a long time, it is okay to, to expect that that might not be something that gets unpacked in an, in an evening or an afternoon. Does the Lord do miraculous works and healing? Of course, we've prayed for those and seen them and experienced them here. I, I'm not ever going to speak against that at all. But understand that the Lord may, it may 
it may have taken some time to get your mind there, and it may take some time for you to discipline your mind and, and receive the Lord's peace. It could take a while. It did for me. It was a number of years of me unlearning some really bad habits that I had in the way that I was following the Lord. Don't, it's okay to look down the road and play the long game and realize the Lord is going to build this habit in me over time, and that's all right. You know all those spiritual disciplines that we get bored of or we get too busy to abide in? Those supply the strength for times when you're getting buffeted by things in life that are just too much for you. you got to be spending all that time when things are good. This is the challenge, because if you're struggling with anxiety, sometimes it's tempting to not think of the Lord until things are really bad. Oh my gosh, I'm just freaking out. I've got to go spend some time in the Lord's presence now. Yes, you should do that. Definitely. Don't, never don't do that. But in the times when things are good, that's when you begin spending time with the Lord's presence so that you're ready when things get difficult, right? So that we're not just living this kind of peak to valley existence, but there's this steadiness to our walk with the Lord. Now, this passage is filled with promises. And the Lord, like many promises, the Lord says, look, I want you to do this part. I want you to do the things I've asked you to do and be obedient and then trust that I'm going to honor my word and give you that peace that I've promised you. He will do that. The Lord's presence is the only place of guaranteed safety and joy in this earthly life that we have. And so I've got to constantly ask myself, where have I been looking for that peace and joy that I want? Right? What other places have I been going to get what is only found in the Lord's presence? All right. So this is our, our recipe, right? And so what, what is it going to feel like? And this is what I want to leave us with this, because if you've been struggling with this for a while, sometimes it's difficult for you to remember what it feels like to not be constantly spinning in your mind, right? You have one of those seasons in your life where it's like, I've pretty much been stressed at about a 9 to 10 for a couple months. I don't really remember what it's like for my brain to not feel like this, right? What is, what is the peace of God going to feel like? Well, we, we've said that fearing... God's ultimate power, right? Realizing who God is and just being overawed by that and then recognizing that he also loves me perfectly, that's pretty much the only remedy I've found for being afraid of all of these lesser things. I can't always solve those fears, right? Look, if, I'm a, if, if you're a person who struggles with money, fear, right? I'm just, I'm just not sure what, where it's going to come from or what's going to happen. I can't turn money off in the world, right? I'm, I'm always going to need money. I'm going to need a job. My kids are going to need to eat. They keep wanting to eat. Um, so I can't just exist in a world where money isn't a part of my daily life. I may never be able to switch that anxiety off, right? Meaning, meaning like it's okay for me to look at my, the rest of my life and say, you know what? I may always, every time that I look at the bank account, have that little twinge of, oh boy, <laughs> here we go, right? But what can I do? I can turn that into a tool to get me in the Lord's presence, rather than a tool to get me all in my own head and concerned about things. I can turn that into a trigger where, hey, at least I'm spending a lot of time being in the Lord's presence because i got to deal with money a lot. And so I've used it as a tool to push me towards the Lord rather than pull me away from Him. How does this work? I've, this is just a thing that works for me, and it's something I'd encourage for you guys. This is, is to, to help sometimes clean out a lot of that stuff that goes on in your, in your mind and your heart that's troubling or concerning to you. Here's how it works for me. It may not work the same for you. This is how I talk to myself. Does that sound like the Holy Spirit? Right? So we've got some voice that's coming into our head. Well, you need to be concerned about this. Okay. Do you sound like the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in a quiet and a calm and a loving voice. Right? He speaks to us peacefully. Never chaotically, never condemningly. That's not how the Spirit sounds, for lack of a better term. So if it's not sounding like that, then I say, okay, cool. No, you're not the Holy Spirit. Very well. Do you sound like my flesh, right? My flesh is just me, my brain, my desires, right? My base instincts as, as, a, as a person. My flesh usually sounds like about a four-year-old, very angry child. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm angry, right? That's what my flesh sounds like. Pretty easy to identify that one. And if it's, your, if it's my flesh, right? Okay, well, it's not the Holy Spirit because that's not how my, the Holy Spirit sounds, okay? If it's the flesh, look, I just kind of laugh it off. Ah, this again? Like we're angry again? Okay, like give it, give it five minutes. The Lord's going to take care of it, right? You just laugh it off. This is why Paul says, look, that's not me. That's sin that lives in me, right? In Christ, I don't have to be constantly worried about those things. Oh, I'm, I'm angry again, and now I'm worried about being angry. No, 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 don't, don't worry about it. That's just your flesh. Just kind of laugh it off and say, look, Lord, here we are again. He's angry again. What do you, you know, would you do something about this, Lord? Because he's again angry, right? That's the heart attitude that we're allowed to have. It's okay 
to trust the Lord's righteousness more than you trust the stuff that your flesh is throwing at you. That you have permission from the word. Paul says that. That that is all right. And then lastly, does that sound like my enemy? If it's a voice of ceaseless, gnawing, uncertain fear, well, that's not from from me, right? That's not my mind. I don't like thinking about that. And it's certainly not from my father. So where did it come from? Well, I'm not going to spend any more time thinking about it then. If it comes from the enemy, I don't spend any more time on it. That's the way that I think I, I've learned from the Lord to get out of these situations as fast as possible. I don't sit there thinking about it if I know that it came from somebody who really wants me to open it up and, and mess with it and get distracted by it. We just throw that stuff away, right? Because there, there can only be bad things coming from letting the enemy bombard you with these things and then sitting with them and saying, oh, is that, what I, is that really what I'm like? Maybe he's right. Maybe I really am too, but you know, maybe I shouldn't go back to church. If I'm thinking about this, of course he would love you to think like that, right? Now, now he's kind of leading you down this path he wants you to be on. Now, <laughs> that sounds easy, right? It takes a lot of practice. When you practice this over and over and over again, right? Here I am, I'm awake again. Here's all the thoughts again. So we're going to sort through them all and we're only going to keep the ones that the Holy Spirit is, is sending to me and everything else we're going to push out. It takes a while. When you practice that, you will begin to have glimpses of total peace from the Lord. You, you will. I will tell you, this happens, right? Now, the key there is that, and what that feels like is you say, okay, nothing about this situation has changed, and I'm not panicking. Now, I know me. I panic in situations like this, right? But the situation, nothing has moved. Everything still looks just as scary, but I don't feel bad about it right now. Maybe I will in five minutes, but right now I have, the, I have peace. Well, where did, where did that come from? It didn't come from you, right? Because you know how you handle these situations. The key is we have to accept that that's from the Lord. So many times I'll have that peace that passes all understanding. This doesn't make sense. I feel peaceful. And I'll start poking at it. <laughs> well, I shouldn't feel peaceful. That doesn't make sense, right? And I'm, rather than accepting in faith that God wants me to enjoy his supernatural peace, I start messing with the situation and saying, no, 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 this can't be right. No, no, no. We need that childlike faith. Say, okay. Hey, God, God, for some reason, God told me it was going to be okay. So, okay. And we just kind of shrug and keep moving. We've got to be able to accept that. And it's difficult because sometimes anxiety feels like, hmm. Anxiety can make your life feel like it's very important. Because, well, things are, important things are happening in my life. Things are crazy. And letting go of that can sometimes feel really difficult because it feels very childlike. I don't know. The Lord will take care of it. That doesn't build my pride up, right? <laughs> it doesn't make me feel, I don't, what, what's your solution? Oh, I think God's got it. That kind of makes me feel a little silly. And, and that's okay, right? It's, it's me getting back in the Lord's presence and looking at him. He's supposed to take all the attention in the room, not me. Not my plans and my little scheme to fix it. It's, it's him. That's all right. This unexplainable certainty that God is in total control and loves me is something that I should just hang on to. Don't shrink away from that. Don't go try and, you know, oh, that, that can't be right. I've got to go fix the situation. Stay right there when we have those. Th- th- that is from the Lord. Now listen, when you begin to practice this, when you begin to walk in this way that you say, look, the, the world can throw these things at me. And as soon as that happens, I'm going to turn around and go get in the Lord's presence for a little while. And then we're going to come back and, and we're going to try again. Pretty soon, the enemy of our souls is not dumb. The Bible makes pretty clear, right? He's, he's crafty. He's been around a long time. At some point, if he finds out that every time he throws chaos your direction, you're going to instinctively respond with prayer and worship, he's going to try something else, right? Like, if, okay, I made them anxious again, and all they're doing is praying, and I don't want them to pray. All they're doing is spending time in fellowship, and I don't want them to do that. He's going to try some other tactic in your life. Maybe it'll be a different worry, right? And you might have to, okay, well, here's a new one. I'm not used to this. Let's see what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to take it to the Lord, right? But he's not going to keep doing the same thing, because pretty soon it's actually building your sanctification. And I know that that might sound, if you've been dealing with this for a while, that might be like, look, I don't know if I can last that long. Like, I don't know if I can just keep you know, hitting the whack-a-mole on this, but I want to encourage you, in Jesus Christ, you can actually endure the long game way longer than Satan can. Satan has a limited time in which to work. You do not. You're going to live forever. Right? Now, Satan has got a, a span of time when the Lord's going to say, you're done now. You have to be over here. You are just going to keep going. Jesus has given you unlimited resources in the Holy Spirit to draw on. You can actually keep doing that for a very long time. 
Every time you go get in God's presence, that experience that you have is just as exciting as the first time you had it. In fact, sometimes it's better because you've spent more time in the Lord's presence. So you know what that's like and you have, you know, you're growing in your sanctification. So you actually can keep doing that a while. He really only has a couple plays in the playbook and he's running out of time too. So be encouraged that actually that's a perfectly just kind of running out the clock <laughs> with the enemy is a great strategy. That's fine. That's not, that's not failure. That's you trusting Jesus and saying, look, Lord, I've got enough faith to do this one more time. I've got enough faith to, okay, I'm anxious, so I'm, I'm going to go worship again. I'm going to try it one more time, right? And see what happens. And then, oh, hey, that's exactly what the Lord promised me. Okay, I've got enough faith to try that one more time. That's all that you really need in the Lord. Not some big plan to solve these, these situations in your life, but just enough faith to obey the Lord one more time. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, as we kind of come to a, to a close, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this is really cool. So the fullness of God, right? We were talking about this at Home Fellowship just the other night. God does not live in time. God is not like you, right? So when you look at this situation that's coming up in your life and you say, man, this is really freaking me out. I don't know. You know, I just don't know what the next election is going to be like. I don't know who's going to win. It's probably going to be, you know, it's probably going to be bad. And you start worrying, right? Or whatever it is that gets you going. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Okay, this job is fine. But what happens when we need more money? Then what, right? God's not sitting there going through that circumstance in the same way as you are, right? We know this. This is not, you know, God, God sees the end from the beginning. God knows what's going to happen next. He knows what your, your, the fifth job after this is going to be. Or he knows if, you know, no, he's only, you only got five years left and you're going to be home with the Lord. Whatever. He knows, right? So because that's who God is, and God isn't wondering about the outcome of anything, he wants you to comprehend the depth of his certainty in the situation by faith in the Holy Spirit. That is what the peace of God is. is God wants to give you the peace that he has of knowing exactly what the outcome is and let you experience that as opposed to what your heart feels. So when you have that peace that passes all understanding, you're feeling God saying, yeah, I, I see that, but I'm not worried about it. Look, this is how I feel about it. I can see, I can see what's going to happen. I know how it's going to work out. I'm going to take care of you, right? And in Ephesians, it says that that's such a like a limitless sense of certainty, such a limitless love that it, we actually have to like get stronger to experience it. It says, man, they're really going to need to like do some spiritual workouts to even hang out in God's presence that much to be able to endure that feeling, which is really cool. The love of Christ surpasses our knowledge and, he, and we are wanting to be filled with that fullness so that when we have these really serious situations, these really deep anxieties, we are already filled with God's certainty, right? This is just like what Jesus did in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Intense anxiety, intense issues, but yet he says, but not my will, right? But, right, he was so close to his father and he was, he was allowing himself to experience what we experience, where he had to rely on the Holy Spirit to give him the strength to do what he needed to do. And he says, okay, that's enough for me. I, I, know that you, I know that you love me and I know that you're going to allow me to endure this. So, okay, then I'm going to accept your will. That's why Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. That's, that's the experience that God wants you to have is always running from these situations that trouble you and getting into his presence so you experience his friendship. And when you're experiencing that, not like, like it talks about with, you know, people in the Bible where it says, you know, that he walked with God or Abraham was a friend of God, right? Not just, yeah, God and I, we speak sometimes, but I know how God thinks about things. God, is, God has talked to me about this situation. I know what God is saying about this. When you have that experience, it doesn't necessarily shut those other thoughts off. But all of a sudden you have an experience that is infinitely more powerful than that of what the Lord thinks about the situation. 
it, it does not mute it, but it's like turning, to me, it's like turning the TV almost all the way down. It's still there, there's still stuff going on, but I'm having this conversation with a person now, it's way more interesting than whatever's going on over here, right? That's the experience of having that peace with God. I want you to picture the goal, I think, from, from the Lord is this person just walking through this raging battlefield, right? All this stuff is still going on. Real issues, things that you might excuse that person for running away or cowering in fear, but they're taking step after step, looking towards the horizon where they have seen this break in the clouds, this vision of God's throne room, right? It's like that picture of Stephen in, in the book of Acts where, look, he knows that his life is coming to an end and he's still looking up saying, yeah, but this is what I'm looking at. I see you guys and you're, you're going to you know, throw rocks at me until I die. And that's really bad. I don't want to minimize that. But have you seen this? That's, look at that. That's God's throne room. That's all he could pay attention to, even though he was experiencing I'm sure, the most anxious and traumatic situation of his entire life. This peace is our birthright through Jesus. Not freedom from storms or even freedom from the cares and anxieties of daily life. Those, those continue as long as we're in the body, but freedom from their dominance over our mind. Freedom to ignore the things that the world and the devil is yelling at us are the most important to remember what the Lord says is the most important. Freedom to walk towards our sure home in Jesus. Right now, the enemy of your soul is completely terrified that you're going to lay aside all these flashing, frightening things that he's devised for you and accept the mind of Christ. That scares him because he knows that if you do that, God's intention is to strengthen your inner spirit and to use you to spread his love. Think about... You know, and this is why it's so important, I think, for us to receive these things from the Lord is because there are other people that need us to be shielding them sometimes from these situations. And if we're not experiencing the mind of Christ, if we're struggling in this way, they're looking to us, right? If you're a father and you're leading a household, those people are all looking to you. And what they need in that situation is for you to be the one saying, Look, I get it. I see. I'm not pretending that this isn't happening, but I know where we should go. Let's go talk to the Lord about it. If you're a mother and you're going through this daily struggle in life, like what your kids need and what you need is to be able to strengthen your spirit internally and say, you know what? This is still bad, but I know who to talk to about it. If you're at a job and everyone else is panicking, what they need, the reason the Lord has put you there is to be the one person who says, well... I don't really know what we're going to do here, right? It's not just a fake, you know, Christian paste a smile on it. Like, it'll all be fine. It might not be fine. This doesn't look fine, guys. But we're going to go talk to, I'm going to go talk to the Lord about it. Let me, let me talk to my God and see if he has something to say about this situation. That's the difference. You know, just, I'll close. I don't know if this is a, I guess more of a testimony than anything, but one of the worst you know, situations that we have ever gone through as a family when this is when my wife was pregnant with our first daughter and we, you know, she just woke up one day and had a, a huge blood clot in her leg. She had to be medically transported to hospital over an hour away. All this stuff is going on. And while this is happening there, you know, the doctors are telling us the kinds of things that you don't like to hear, right? Where they start saying, well, you know, we're going to observe her for a day or two, but we're definitely not out of the woods. You know, potential fatality, all these crazy things that they're saying, right? Very, yeah, awful stuff. And, you know, I'll never forget, I'm driving, you know, driving behind the ambulance in my car. I've basically, like, called work and said, I don't know when I'll be back. I will see you later. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to UVA, so later. Um, and I'm just driving for an hour behind the car, just completely numbed out. You know, I, I, had, I had passed the point of being anxious to where my brain was like really not firing <laughs> the way that it usually is, where I was just like, I don't, I don't even have anything left now, right? We're spending, you know, we're in the hospital and they're still not saying, okay, we're good. They're like, well, all right. <laughs> and we're just overnight in the hospital. And i never forget, I was, I was in an elevator and I, my phone, this, is, this isn't really important to the story, but you'll, you'll feel for how horrible I felt. My phone wasn't working for some reason. I don't even remember why. My credit card wasn't working. And I was, I was coming back up in the elevator, and the doors in the elevator were about to open, and I was just, I had this feeling of like, Lord, I just don't want to get out of the elevator. 
I would rather stand, like I'll stand here until I wake up from this dream or whatever, but I just don't want to walk back into this situation. I have no, I've got nothing left. Like I have no even anxiety left to give. Like I'm just completely empty. I have no idea what's going to happen. And everything that I can think of that could happen is terrifying to me. And then the doors to the elevator opened and the Lord's like, just go ahead and walk out of the elevator though. And I can't explain to you why I didn't feel completely panicked. I can't explain to you, like, there was no, nothing had changed in the situation. For all I knew, everything was about to get worse. But I, I had just enough left with the Lord to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and walk back into this room and we're going to see what the Lord is going to do. Just, just that amount of peace, right, with the Lord. And five minutes later, I felt anxious again. But that was something that, once that happened to me, I said, well, okay, if the Lord, if the Lord has that for me, if that's the way that the Lord wants me to respond to this situation, I can go back and ask him for that again, right? I'm not feeling it again, Lord. It's five minutes have passed and I'm already freaked out again. Okay, I'm going to go back and ask again. And for the next couple days, that was kind of how my life went, is about every five minutes, I kept going back to the Lord and saying, okay, I don't feel good again. Like, what do you want me to do? And asking the Lord for his peace. I would not go back through. Obviously, we're all fine now. You've seen Nora running around. My wife is, is doing great. Um, the Lord healed her miraculously, I actually believe. That's a cool story. You can ask me about that later. Um, but I, I wouldn't live back through that again for anything. Like, that's probably the worst I've ever felt in my life. But now that that's happened, I know how to handle those things with the Lord. I, it doesn't, I, I'm not saying that the next time something like that happens, I'll feel any different or better, but I know where to go at least. And that really makes all the difference when we deal with these things in our lives. The Lord knows what we go through, but he doesn't want us to go through those things just on our own, grinning and bearing it. He wants to be there with us. He wants to use those things to draw us to himself so he can minister to us. Um, and so that his perfect love and the fear of him can cast out all the other fears that we experience.